so a better story. There's a better story. And as we kick this off, that's my invitation to you. What would your better story look like? Cortez's better story was this phrase, I don't want to be afraid. Well, hey there, and welcome to another episode of Better Stories. I'm so excited that you tuned in, and I'm really excited for this episode because this this is actually the recording of the first Better Stories live event that we did at the McNemer House in Buchanan, West Virginia. This was such an awesome night. We had just a bunch of friends in this kind of cool little house with a with a stage. It's kind of amazing. You can go online and check them out. Just Google McNemer House, West Virginia, and you'll find it. They do all kinds of awesome house shows and concerts and events and different things like that. Good friends, I'd love for you to check them out and encourage the work that they're doing. But this was a great night, and really what I did was just kind of dive into the meaning of better stories and what it means for us to look at life uh, through the lens of having the opportunity to create better stories in our lives and really bring about um, purpose and meaning and intentionality. And um, even as this happened, it was a special moment and it was a better story for me. So I hope you enjoy it. Uh, I hope you check this out, listen to the whole thing. And uh, stay tuned for the upcoming episodes. So here's Better Stories Live from the McNemer House. So this is, there's a big puddle on the stage right now that you can't see of fear and excitement and risk and terror and all that. And I'm stepping all in it, but you just can't see it right now. See, everything's falling off. Thank you for coming. Can you thank Bronson and Heather McNemer for having us, for opening up their home to us? And somebody, somebody came in tonight and they said, what, what do they do here? And I said, they live here. And every so often they open it to people. So we are so grateful for you guys. About two years ago, I was driving in my car and uh, listening to a podcast on iTunes, um, checking this out. And, and I need to preface the whole night tonight by saying that I am a change addict. Like, if things get steady and routine for too long, I need to do something about that to change it. I like to start new stuff. I like to... So, so just to prove this, my wife and I lived in 12 houses or apartments in the first 10 years of our marriage. Um, I worked in six different locations, and I really didn't get fired from any of them. Um, just got tired and <laughs> moved on. The one was questionable, maybe, maybe a firing. And, like, I quit, and then I got fired after that. We can, we can talk about that later. But about two years ago, I, I, was, uh, I was driving along, and I thought, wouldn't it be cool to start a podcast? And that's usually the, the words that get me in trouble when it comes to change and, and newness is, like, wouldn't it be cool if... Shouldn't we try this? And, and then in, in like the next breath, all that terror that I'm stepping in right now came back. And I was like, well, I don't have anything to say that people would, would want to listen to. So why would I start a podcast? And about six months later, I had hung out with several friends. And I thought, um, I have really, really cool friends. Anybody have like super cool friends that do amazing things? And you just feel like, like I, I have amazing friends. And I wish my life was half that cool. Like Heather has a hunting falcon on their property. It's just amazing. Like, I got, to, I got here early, and I got to see it eat mice. It was, it was so fun. It was so cool. And, and I have friends like that. Like, I have a friend who chose to go and live in Antarctica for a length of time and study stuff, like, before. The, he explained to me what he did, and I don't understand it. So he was a scientist 
there. It was way amazing, and he chose that. And then I have friends that there's a married couple, and they had a baby of their own, and then they adopted four more from, like, other countries. And his wife said, that's not enough. We need to go to Ethiopia, and we need to do something because there's women that are in the sex industry, and we need to go pull them out of that. And so she literally went to Ethiopia, and her husband tells the story that she walked into an orphanage, and she didn't like how the babies were being treated, so she grabbed, like, two or three of them and left. Um, this is a true story. And and the babies are doing great now, and I don't know how that worked, and maybe she left the country quickly. I, this seems like a big deal to me, but I still think it's really, really cool. And then I have a friend that I talked to yesterday, and he just quit his job to start a thing called the Center for Play and Exploration. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> like, I want that job. Like, I love when people quit their jobs and create something just to create their own job. The Center for Play and Exploration, that's his job. So uh, about six months after I had the thought, like, what if, what if we started a podcast? I had the thought, I, I don't have anything to say. And then I said, but my friends are super cool, so let's interview them and tell their stories. And, and that's where better stories started to emerge from. And then a little bit later, I thought, well, I, I communicate for a living, and then I know these people that will come to church on Sunday mornings because I preach in a church, but I have friends who don't like the church and they won't come to the church. And so wouldn't it be fun to have conversations with them in a place where they would feel comfortable? And so I thought, well, we could do this podcast and we could interview friends and then I could do some live talks like in a bar or something. That would be awesome. And we could go and have conversations about faith and life in a bar. And my wife was like, that's crazy. <laughs> like, how does that work? And I was like, I don't know, but it would be great. Stop asking me practical questions. And and, and I started looking for a, a place that would host, that would open up and say, and I thought, this has to be the coolest place that I've ever seen. We can't just do this in any place. And I, I do what our generation does. I began to stalk out the McNeemers on Instagram <laughs> well before they ever knew me. I was following along, and I was thinking, I want to ask them if we can come and do a podcast, but they can't charge us anything because I don't have any money, and we have to give tickets away, and they're going to think I'm nuts. And she said, yes. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? Can we thank them one more time? <laughs> so thank you. Thank you, guys. Over the next several months, these podcasts are going to be released. And so we're going to try this, this night, tonight, and then again, May 12th. The tickets actually just got printed today and are made available online. So you can get a ticket before you leave for May 12th, another Friday night. We're going to do another talk. Um, and then in between, we're going to be interviewing my friends and telling stories. And so if you know people with really cool stories, put me in touch with them because I would love to share that as well. But tonight is tonight, and we're going to have some fun tonight. We're going to talk. Is that okay? Is that okay with everybody? Okay, the back, like, you guys are the cool kids at the back of the bus, I get it. The front row is open, by the way. It's really close. Um, but we're good. We're ready to have some fun tonight. That's okay? All right, so here's, here's my question to start us off. In, in a culture, for a culture to exist, there are certain things that have to happen. For any tribe, group of people, nation, community to exist, there are certain things that have to happen. What are those things? What would you say? What has to exist for a culture to take place? I, you didn't expect to have to participate. You just thought you'd eat and drink wine tonight. Uh, traditions, yes. What else? Very basics of a culture. What, what would you say? Water, people, yes. Good. And what do people use to communicate? Language. And so if we start and, and we think about language, language starts with what? What, what, what starts language? Huh? Ideas, but, but language is consisted of what? Words. Words consist of letters. So we start with letters. So let's say, and please don't make fun of my writing, and there are teachers in the room, just get over yourself, and <laughs> we'll be okay. 
So we have letters, but for letters to exist, that does not necessarily create language, correct? Letters have to come together to form what? <laughs> Words and sounds, yes. You are all correct. There are gold stars for everyone tonight. So we have words that begin to form language. However, just a word does not form language. Are you with me? There has to be a connection, a, a building of words to form something else. So grammar nerds in the room, let's go back to seventh grade. This is on, up, and at, which are what part of speech in grammar? Well done. The math people are mad at you right now. These are prepositions, and prepositions actually connect words to each other. They create relationships between words. So we could take the word on, and we could create a phrase. Somebody give me a phrase with the word on. On the boat. On the boat. Perfect. We now have a phrase. How about the word up? How about a phrase for up? Up in the air. Up in the air. Awesome. Well done. And how about the word At. At the movies. Someone was thinking at the bar. That's okay. All right, so we have on the boat, up in the air, at the movies. However, now we have phrases that are con consisting of words put together and words consisting of letters put together, but we don't have necessarily a full connection. Are you with me? We don't have what I would call a full story, right? But with just a few slight changes, we might start something different. We might start to say, once upon a time. And that's where the story starts, right? That's where things begin, because now we have a specific moment in time, once. It wasn't all these other times. It was once, and it was upon a time. There was a location. There was a place. And in every story, there are characters. There are conflict. There are tensions. And we've taken words that create cultures, cultures and letters and words and phrases, and now we've put a connection between them. And that is the basis of every culture, every nation, every tribe, every community, every family is stories. And in those stories, I want you to understand something. Every story has a beginning. This is the beginning of so many stories. Now pause with me because when I was a child, I loved comic books. Any comic book nerds in the room? We've got grammar nerds, we've got comic book nerds, and I love that. And every comic book, Batman, X-Men, Spider-Man, Superman, I'm a, I'm a Marvel guy, so just if you're biased to DC, if you don't understand what I'm talking about, hang in there. We're going to come back to life. Um, every comic book hero, if you follow comic book heroes, every comic book hero has what they call a backstory or an origin story of how they got their powers, how they ended up where they were. So we have Peter Parker, and Peter Parker's story is that he was bitten by what? Not just a spider. Some of you are like, spiders are awful. Well, that's a terrible story. Radioactive spider. Isn't that cool? Isn't that awesome? A radioactive spider bites Peter Parker, and Peter Parker becomes not Superman, Spider-Man. We've got Spider-Man. I will not give these away. These are from my private collection. We have Bruce Wayne. Now, Bruce Wayne was a little bit different because Bruce Wayne saw his parents brutally murdered in front of his eyes, and he grows up and inherits their fortune and basically buys his superhero status. I think Batman's a little bit of a ripoff, right? He buys his gadgets. He buys what he's able to do. He learns to fight, and he becomes Batman. We have the X-Men, who are actually 
A group of mutants. That's a mint condition that's not any longer. I'm just kidding. It's not. It's like a wasteful comic book. We have the X-Men, who were a group of humans who had special powers, special abilities. They were born different, and society had actually cast them out, but they are formed together as the X-Men with their heroes and their abilities. And then you have this guy named Kal-El, who was born on a completely different planet, and he is in danger because his planet is being destroyed, and so his parents somehow ship him to the Earth, and he come, becomes Clark Kent, but not Clark Kent, who? Superman. Superman. Every hero has a backstory. Our story as humanity is exactly the same. For humanity, the Jewish scriptures, the Christian scriptures, all of the scriptures point back to a story of a creator who stepped into time, stepped into space, and said, I will create something different. I will create a world. I will create a universe. I will create a place where there is life and there is goodness and there is hope, and I will bring this to reality. So for humanity, our origin story starts in what is called the book of Genesis, which actually means origins. And at the beginning of the book of Genesis, one of the most famous words in all of the scriptures of any faith says, in the... And what that implies is that before that, there was no time. There was what we might call pre-time. And we're told in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And he says the earth was formless. I told you my writing is bad. It was empty. And it says, God said, let there be what first? Let there be light. So before this, this pre-time, it was, of course, dark. And we go through this beautiful chapter one of Genesis, which is one of the most brilliant poetry sections that we've seen in all of literature. And we get these creations. On day one, God says, let there be light, and there will also be dark. And then on day two, I got to cheat on my notes. There is waters and there is sky. He separates those two things. On day three, land and seas. And so we see what God is doing. And after every day, there's this repetitious phrase. He creates the light and the dark. And he says, it is good. It's not bad. It's good. He creates the waters and the skies. It is good. He creates the land, the seas. It is good. And then day four, he says, well, let's do something with this light and dark. Let's create the sun, the moon, and the stars. And with these waters and skies, let's create the birds and the fish. And on these land and seas, let's create vegetation, gardens. Who loves to garden? See, I just spoke the language of people who don't like comic books. And let's create humans. And if you notice between each of these days, the light and dark is formed and the sun, the moon, and the stars fill it. The waters and sky are formed and the birds and the fish fill it, fill it. And the land and seas are formed and the vegetation and the humans fill it. So we could say at the very core of our origin story is God forming and God filling. In G. I'm really in a hurry tonight because there's a lot that I'm excited to say to you. And on day seven, God rests because the earth that was formless is now formed and it is full and it is no longer dark. It is, in fact, light. Even at night, it is light. How many of you know that we still live in the midst of stories that compete for darkness and light, right? We still see that. We still experience this great tension today because here's what I know about stories, your stories and my stories. We have life-taking stories, life-sucking stories. How many of you have life-sucking stories? And we have life-giving 
stories. There are stories in my life that give me life, and there are stories in my life that suck out the life of me. When my daughter Presley was about uh, four years old, I had been given the job by my lovely wife to entertain the kids when she went to Walmart. That was my job. And I owned that job very professionally because she had tried to shop with me before and she quickly learned that I'm not a good partner in shopping and I'm still not a good partner in shopping. Can I get a grunt from the men in the room? Because we would go to Walmart and initially we tried to entertain our kids. We tried to keep things moving and quickly she realized they were a nightmare and I was even worse. And so she said, here is your duty. I will do the shopping, but you're going to sit in the car. And you can keep the kids. And I said, I'm not a dog. And, and so you can keep the kids and you can entertain them. And I said, I will own that. And she said, you don't pay me enough to go to the spa, so I'll go to Walmart. That will be my spa time without you people. And so sitting in the car, I began to come up with stories for our children. All of our children have nicknames. The oldest is the goose, the middle is the bug, and the youngest is the bee. And so each of them has their own story. And I will never forget sitting in the, the minivan. I was a proud minivan owner proud as you can be. And I remember sitting in the minivan and beginning to tell the story to our middle daughter, the bug. And I made this story up. Once upon a time, there was a special Presley bug. And she lived by the pond with her friend, the goose, and her friend, the bee. And one day, the Presley bug was looking. And she had a book of bugs, but she didn't know what type of bug she was. And she began to search through the book. And she was so sad because she couldn't find what type of bug she was. And I kid you not, at four years old, I'm thinking, this is the best story I've ever given one of my kids. And I looked in the rearview mirror, and her eyes welled up with tears. This is the sensitivity that I live with. And she's not a teenager yet. And, <laughs> and I watched as she began to shed tears. And I thought, oh, Lord, I'd give anything to be in Walmart right now. I've got to fix this. And so I continued in the story, improving on the fly. And I said, the Presley bug and her friends decided to go see Mama Frog for an answer because Mama Frog has all the answers. And they took their bug, bug book and they got to Mama Frog. And Mama Frog began to search through. And she said, oh, I'm not seeing you. I'm not seeing you. And again, the tension in my daughter's face is growing and growing and growing. And she said, but wait, the Mama Frog got to the back of the book. And she said, oh, here you are. You're the super special one in a million Presley bug. And in the flash of an eye, my daughter's tears went away, and she said, I'm the Presley bug. <laughs> and the interesting part of that story is that that became a life-giving story for my daughter because since that day, every challenge she's faced, every moment of her obstacle in her life, she has found identity in that story. That story formed and filled and gave light to my daughter's life as a life-giving story. But there are also life-sucking stories, aren't there? I have a good friend who uh, taught at a summer camp for an entire summer for, for children that were at risk in a very urban setting, and she told the story of a young boy named Cortez, and Cortez was that child. He was the child that shows up and brings a certain amount of, we don't want to label kids today, but he was a problem. And he would come every single day, and he would bring energy, and he would bring rebellion, and he would step into this camp. And Cortez brought all of the challenges of his home, all of the challenges in his neighborhood, and everything that he had against him into this class setting. And my friend was the director of the camp, and so she said, most of the days the teachers did not want to deal with Cortez, and so I ended up spending my days with Cortez. See, Cortez had an origin story, too, just as we do. He, here's the interesting thing about this Genesis story. That was nice and neat, wasn't it? The Genesis story continues, 
And the poetry of chapter one is replaced with a narrative in chapter two, a narrative of Adam and Eve being created, God, the creator stepping down and crafting a human out of the dirt and breathing life into this human and raising him up and looking at all of his creation and again saying, it's good, it's good, it's good. And on the seventh day, it is very good. But in the midst of that, before Eve is ever created, he says, it is not good for this naked man to be walking around the earth alone. He needs a naked woman. Yeah. <laughs> he says, in the midst of a world that had not yet been broken by darkness, something is not good. And what is not good is for this person to be alone. In fact, we could go back here to our words and we could say these words on, up, at. They do not exist. They do not have meaning. They do not have a story if they function in isolation. And humanity is the same way. Our stories are not our stories if we live them in isolation. It is not good for us to be alone. My friend told me that as she got to know Cortez, Cortez told her of his second grade teacher and, and how his second grade teacher had helped him understand who he was because one day he had gone up to the desk and he had seen on the teacher's desk a three-column list of names and the one column said good and there were a few of the children in the classroom on that list and then the middle column said bad and there were several of the kids' names on that column and then the third column said crazy and Cortez's name was the only name on the crazy List And so he looked at my friend and he said, so I'm crazy. She said, I'm crazy. I must be crazy. He was the only student in his class identified as crazy. And that story formed him and filled him in isolation. And it's not good to be alone. Don't we all know this? Don't we all understand what this is like? I remember as a shy, introverted, shorter ninth grader in high school. This stage is awesome, by the way. You guys are so short. I remember wishing on Friday nights just for a friend to call. Would you call me? Would you invite me into your social gathering? Would you invite me to where you are? Could I come hang out with you? And waiting anxiously. And don't we all remember what that was like? And here's the thing. That never really goes away. It's never good for us to be alone. That's why when our phones buzz, we react like crack addicts and go, oh, who has liked my status? Who has commented on my picture? Who has spoken to me through the click of a button? I affirm your presence in the world. You are not alone. It is not good to be alone. But there's this myth in our world, right? There's this philosophy that says, no, it is. It is the, uh, it is the way of life that you're alone. In fact, you should, you should exist in this world alone. Paul Simon, the great prophet, he said, I've built walls, a fortress deep and mighty that none may penetrate. I have no need of friendship. Friendship causes pain. It's laughter and it's loving I disdain. And then he says these words, I am a rock. I am an island. And we all cry when we sing that song, right? That's so sad. None of us function good in solitude, function well in solitude. It is not good to be alone. So here's the thing about this Genesis story. God looks at the world and he says, it is not good for the man to be alone. So he takes the man and he gives the man a woman, anatomically incorrect, but it's the best I got. And he places them in a garden. And basically, in this garden, you have Adam and you have Eve, and they love each other very much, and they have a relationship with God. I don't know what God looks like. That's God. Go with it. 
And they place Adam and Eve in this garden, and their story is now somewhat formed and somewhat filled. But here's the thing. We may think a story of a man and a woman naked in a garden alone, enjoying each other, enjoying the presence of God may be enough, but it's not. Because a comic book is not a comic book story until the superhero has a mission, right? See, Peter Parker is bitten by a radioactive spider, but he's never really Spider-Man until he has someone to rescue, a conflict to win, a battle to occur, until he steps into a mission. And I believe that the Genesis story gives us that. It says, no, God spoke to the man and the woman, and he said, there are things that I want you to do. I want you to, first of all, be fruitful. Have little Adams and little Eves, and then maybe name them Cain and Abel. There's stories in that. Naked man, naked woman being fruitful and multiple. There's stories in that. Are you with me? Some of you are with me. Then he says, I also want you to increase in number on the earth, and I want you to fill the earth and subdue it. So in this garden, in this world that I've planted, this is a sunflower, by the way. That's all I got. I can't draw any other plants. I want you to make things grow. I want you to rule over the earth. I'm giving you this garden, this world, this, this thing that I've created and is said very, is very good. I want you to create and bring life to this. This is your mission. This is the mandate. I think we could say it simply. God looks at the people and says, go and live stories. See, when we plant seeds, we're creating stories. There's work and there's vision and there's execution. God says, be fruitful and increase in number. See, when, we be fruit, when we're fruitful and we increase in number, we pursue our dreams. We go after things. We say, I want to bring life to the world through the way that I live my life. I want to build communities. I want to make plans. I want to make friends with people. I want to host cookouts. I want to plan play dates because there are stories in that. And then he says, I also want you to rule over this earth. What, what he's saying, I believe, is you are in charge of your stories. Take ownership over the life that you're living. Chase this thing down. Don't be a victim. Dream your dreams and be, com be, be committed to what you're going after. Go and live these stories. I think we could say God's mission for his people, just as God had formed and filled the earth, is for us to form and fill our lives with the stories. It's amazing to me that the creator of the universe, who created everything we see, says, I want you now to go create. Go create stories. Don't live in isolation. Go create stories. Have you ever watched a child on a playground for a length of time? Now, every teacher in the room just went, yeah, it's miserable. <laughs> okay. Have you ever truly observed children on a playground? Have you ever thought about how many worlds they're creating across that playground? You could have superheroes in one corner, princesses in another, gymnasts in another, and fierce warriors in another. And we watch them create these worlds. I was walking through the mall uh, two days ago, and this little guy, I don't know what he was, why he was not in school. I reported him. I'm hoping they arrested him. But um, I was watching him a few steps behind his mother, and all of a sudden, he was walking through the mall, and he did one of these things. His mom didn't even see it. He just goes, yeah. Now, every guy in the room knows that he was shooting fire or he was shooting ice. I could almost see it. That's what was going on. He was creating a story in the middle of a mall. But we lose that, don't we? Don't we lose what it means to be at recess? Don't we lose what it means to play? I, I, I'm watching my middle schooler begin to learn that recess is less about imagination and more about social acceptance. I'm watching that happen. 
And we all know this. We all know that as we get older, we stop pretending. We stop imagining. We stop creating and playing. And in the Genesis story, it's the same way. Adam and Eve eat this piece of fruit, which I think is a watermelon, but I can't draw a watermelon. They eat this fruit, and suddenly they realize, "Uh uh-oh, we're naked. So Eve gets a dress, a really funky-looking dress. And Adam says, I'm just going to hide because I kind of like being naked. And it creates this division between themselves. They blame each other for the mistake they've made, and now they hide from God. There's an immediate division in the darkness of this story that keeps them from each other and keeps them from the creator of the universe. And then in the next chapter, Cain says, I don't like my brother. I don't get along with my brother. I have a knife. Let's end his life. And now there's family division. And then the story in Genesis goes on, and humanity actually becomes so wicked that God says, hey, Noah, I want you to build a boat because it's not going to be safe here. It's going to rain. And when I say rain, I mean everybody's going to die. And the wickedness of humanity pervades in the darkness of the story. And then we go to chapter 11, and there's all kinds of people all over the world. And they say, hey, what do you think we could do if we all get together? Well, we could yell really loud. We could elect some leaders, and we could all disagree about the leaders. No, that's this year. We could all do this stuff, but let's build a really big tower, and let's make a name famous for ourselves. And we'll put windows in it. We'll put a big steeple on top, like the Empire State. I'm getting distracted. We're we're going to build a tower. And so God says, they, it's not that God says, these stupid people, they can't do that. He says, no, we have to frustrate their efforts because they're building for their own achievement. They're writing their own story. And the creator says, we have to go down and we have to then frustrate their language so that they don't understand each other. And folks, I want to tell you, this darkness that entered into this origin story is what we still experience today. Don't we? Don't we all know what it's like to hide from someone else? Don't we know what it's like to live in our homes and pretend when we go out like everything's okay, like everything's good in our lives and we've got it all together and everything looks cheery and we can put on the front. But when you step into your home, you know division and you know frustration and you know there's a problem. Don't we understand wickedness in the world? Don't we understand the evil that humanity can bring onto humanity? Don't we see it every day? And see, I think the story of Babel ends with kind of the ultimate darkness to our origin story because it's the story of a people who can't understand each other. And what happens when we can't understand each other is that our words and our stories become just letters. And we have no understanding of what they mean. See, the ultimate darkness that enters into the human story and enters into our stories today is the lack of being able to hear each other. The lack of being able to hear each other's stories. So what I want to say to you tonight is we have a choice when it comes to our stories. We have a choice to create formless and empty and dark stories or a choice to create formed and life-giving and light-filled stories. I believe there are three types of stories that we experience. There are created stories. Right, that right now, every one of you has the opportunity, the intentionality to step into your own life or to step into someone else's life and create stories for them. We have a tradition in our house. Our, our daughters, when they turn 10 years old, they get a 10-year-old trip. Many of you have heard this story before. So our first daughter turned 10 a couple years ago, and we took her to New York City. We surprised her. As we took her to New York City, we said, we've got to make this more than just a trip. We've got to make this a special moment in her life, something like a, a rite of passage. So we're going to set her loose on New York streets and make her find her way back to the hotel. I'm kidding. <laughs> what we did is we, some of you are like, <gasps> no, calm down. 
What we did is we called all of the family that we could, the grandparents, the cousins, the uncles, the aunts, and the tribe around her, her friends, her babysitters, the people that are speaking into her life. And we said, we want you to write a letter to our daughter affirming who she is and speaking to her what you know about growing up. And over the course of our time in New York City, we sat with her and every meal she opened a letter or two and she read it and her heart grew about 10 sizes that week because we created something in her life that she needed at that time. There are created stories. There are stories that will not exist until you choose and I choose to step in and live those stories. And let me tell you, as an introvert, that is incredibly hard. I'd rather just sit in the corner and hide. But we need to create stories. The second type of story is that there are received stories. There are stories that we have no control over that we simply have to receive as a gift, as something to shape us and form us and fill us. When I was 17 years old, I was standing on a street in South Africa. My parents were crazy enough to let me go there. And I remember standing on the street, and this 60-some-year-old man walked up to me, and his name was Moses, and that was cool enough in itself. And he walked up to me, and he said, I have a question for you. And we had just finished doing a, a presentation about Jesus that I'm sure very few of them understood. But he said, I have a question for you. I've lost my wife and my son. They've died. Why does a good God allow that? And it says, 17-year-old, I give the very theological answer of, uh, let me get my leader. (laughs) But what that story did, I received that story, and years later, even now, I think that's a story that has shaped and formed who I am. I would not be who I am vocationally, personally, relationally today without Moses in my life. There are created stories, and there are received stories, and then there are rescued stories. There are stories that we choose to step into, or someone chooses to step into for us, where we are broken, and we are in need of rescue, and help, and healing. When we were in college, Carrie and I went to uh, Jamaica, where we served on a trip, and one of the days that we were there, we showed up to a place that they called the poorhouse. Now, you need to understand, in their culture, the poorhouse was exactly what it sounds like. It's where you went when you had nothing left. It was the place of desperation, the place where you had no money, no food, no mental capacity, and no ability to conduct life on your own. It's one of the saddest places I've ever been. And from the minute we stepped off of our vans into this poor house property, one woman stood out, and this woman was mentally incapacitated. She was unstable, and I don't say that flippantly. I mean, she was truly mentally unstable, and, and she was wearing tattered clothes to the point of embarrassment where we could see her nakedness, and we could see who she was. And from the minute we stepped on there, she latched onto one of our leaders, this young guy that was a little bit older than me, but he was a young guy at that point. She latched onto him and would not let go, and it was uncomfortable for him, I know, but it was uncomfortable for us as well because for the next four to five hours, she walked with him and would not let go of his arm. But here's what I know. He rescued her story for that day, just for that day. He did what he could to rescue that story. Tonight at 8 p.m., there's a, there's a group from Appalachian Impact that's created an event called Love Speaks. And they're trying to step into something, child abuse, and raise awareness. And they're meeting at the courthouse plaza, and they just simply want to step in and be a light, be a voice, be something that steps in to rescue these stories. Back to my friend Cortez. 
as my friend hung out with Cortez, she, she said over the course of the summer, this, this challenge of facing and dealing with the things that he was facing became more and more intense. And all she wanted to do was to become more intentional with him. And so she kind of formed a plan. As she would work during the day to prep food for the other classrooms and as she would kind of get things ready, she would speak to Cortez and she would speak words of life and she would say, Cortez, I, I want to tell you how the creator feels about you. I want to tell you that you are loved and, and you are treasured and you are favored and you need to know this. You need to understand this and he would kind of sit in the corner and some days he would listen and some days he would be distracted he was that kid as I said and as she spoke these words to him at one point she said Cortez I want you to say something for me and he looked at her and she said I want you to say I am loved and he looked at her and she goes just say I and he goes I and she goes I am and he goes I am and she goes I am loved and he goes I am and then he got so angry and he said I can't I'm not I'm not I'm not and he ran out of the room And she said, for many days and even weeks, this went on until one day she'd about come to the end of a rope and she was prepping the food for the classes. And she said, this little whisper emerged from the corner and it said, I am loved. And she dropped the cookies or the muffins or whatever she made. She said, what did you say? And he looked at her like he'd done something wrong. And she said, Cortez, what did you say? And he said, I am loved. And she said, that's right. That's right. Now I want you to say it louder. And she said, with the voice of a two-year-old warrior, he goes, I am loved. And she said, that's right, Cortez. And don't ever forget it. And she said, and how does that make you feel? And he said, it makes me feel like I don't want to be afraid anymore. You see, my friend stepped in and began to create a story. She began to rescue a story. And in her creation and her rescue, she received a story. I'm watching this amazing show right now about a man who's been on death row for 19 years. It's a fictional show. And so he's on death row for 19 years and he actually gets off of death row because there's new evidence that emerges. And the show is a story not about his crime and not about the life that he lived on death row. It's a story about his life after death row. It's a life after being institutionalized. And as he enters back into life in his small town community, it's the story of how he acclimates himself after the trauma that he's experienced. And there's one scene that is so beautiful because he decides with his mother that they're going to take a road trip together. And they go on the road and they end up about a half a mile away from the prison where he had spent 19 years of his life. And they're sitting in the car together and he, he looks at her and he says, Mother, there are days that I want to go back to that door and knock on the gate and ask them to let me back in because I know what to expect, because I know what they want from me, and I know exactly how to live in that place. And then he says this, but not today. Today I want to go and I want to see the ocean. And he does. And the beauty of this show is when someone comes to this man and they confront him and they say, you don't think you deserve life? That's what you've got to decide, whether you deserve life or not. After all you've been through, all that punishment, all that suffering, do you deserve a life? See, there's a power in our stories. The great African writer Chinua Achibi says it's only the story that can continue beyond the war and the warrior. It's the story that outlives the sound of war drums and the exploits of brave fighters. It's the story that saves our descendants from blundering like blind beggars into the spikes of the fence. The story is our escort. Without it, we are blind. Does the blind man own his escort? No, neither do we own the story. Rather, it's the story that owns and directs us. See, Cortez was formless, and he was empty, and he was dark until someone stepped in and began to form and fill and bring light in a different way 
to who he was. The great theologian G.K. Chesterton says this, fairy tales don't exist to tell children that dragons are real. Children already know dragons are real. And then he says, fairy tales exist to tell children that dragons can be defeated. Isn't that amazing? So a better story. There's a better story. And as we kick this off, that's my invitation to you. What would your better story look like? Cortez's better story was this phrase, I don't want to be afraid. My better story was two years ago. What if we started a podcast five years ago? What if we went back home and we created a faith community for people who don't like faith communities? There's a better story. So if you had a blank page or if you had a blank card, what would the first line of your story be? Because here's the reality, friends. Peter Parker had powers and you have powers. You have the power to step in and create better stories. You see the present, this present moment is the precipice of better. It's the edge of better. It's the place where you're not at war. It's the place where the future hasn't happened and you in the present have the ability to create better, to bring light and to form and to fill. And I'm daring you tonight to begin to write a new story, a new story. So we're going to listen to some music and there will be food and there will be drink. Is that okay with everybody? Some of you are like, yeah, that's why I came. (laughs) But as we close, I felt like it would be hypocritical for me to get up and talk about living better stories and creating better stories without creating a better story for myself. You see, I speak for a living. I love speaking. I love communicating. But there's this part of me that I don't share with a lot of people. And last Sunday, my friend Bobby got up and spoke this soulful, powerful mix of poetry and hip-hop and passion. And I sat there, and I was amazed. And then all I could think was, I want to do that. But he's so much cooler at it than I am. Because years and years and years ago, over 20 years ago, I had an amazing teacher who instilled in me a love of poetry. And I don't share that with a lot of people. And I've never shared my poetry with other people publicly. And so if I'm asking you to live a better story, it's hypocritical that I don't do it. So I wrote a piece, and that puddle is like up to my knees now, (laughs) that I want to share with you as we close tonight, and it's called Once or Now. There's a trembling. No, 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 just wait. (laughs) You're too kind. There's a crippling weight that comes with standing in the present and being bullied by the past. A sense of fear or shame or hurt or pain or rage at the night anger or simply a whisper of, it's not fair. Not fair that something so long gone could still breathe so hard upon my neck, connecting the present with all that's before, and in that connection, placing a stranglehold on my throat and a steel anchor on my feet, destroying any move I've made ever towards the future, but still, perhaps the greatest words in human history, but still, but still, like the rhythm of a heart in the midst of a mystery, but still. 
Still, there's breath in collapsed lungs. God spun divinity, kissed humanity, creating breath, breathed at the dawn of time and recycled from carbon to oxygen and all the molecules in between, carrying the failures of heroes and the forgetfulness of grace and arriving here and now in my chest and my heart and my throat and my tongue and even the extremities of my hands and my bones and joints and muscles and tissues and even on my tongue, breath. But still, still there is the present present the precipice of the future and a cliff dive into the quarry of creativity and the incubator of imagination, imagining the future brought, no, breathed to life in the present, but still, still, there's fear, but fury in the fear, fury that says no longer will I tiptoe down the back alleys, no longer will I be victimized by violent assaults of accommodation, and no longer will I watch as the present dissolves to the past, as the future drifts to past my present, no longer because I will be better now. Once upon a time, now upon a time. Thank you, guys.